This morning's scripture reading comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Listen to the words of God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. Happy Easter, everybody. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. Mark Montgomery said we need to get some swagger back. I like that. He's right. We need to be able to ask some really hard questions. And then when other people ask hard questions of us, we need to be prepared to give them some good answers. And the good news is there are good answers. And we're going to have a chance to talk about those great answers in a world that has a lot of questions. But all that starts next week. Today is the greatest day of the year. Today is the day that death dies and Christ is resurrected and all of us are resurrected with him. And to to frame this Easter conversation with you this morning, I want to tell you about the most famous guy of the first two decades of the 20th centuries. Between 1900 and 1920, the most famous guy in the world was a dude by the name of Eric Weiss. And you're saying, he probably wasn't that famous because I've never heard of him, right? Well... Uh, the son of a Hungarian rabbi adopted a stage name. He is more familiar to history as Harry Houdini. Yeah. Uh, Houdini began his work as a magician by escaping from handcuffs. On March 17th, 1904, challenged by the London Daily Mirror, Houdini tried to escape from a pair of handcuffs. 
They'd been designed over the course of five years by a dude named Nathaniel Hart. He was an engineer. It took him five years to design these handcuffs. Houdini reportedly escaped from them in three minutes. He graduated on to increasingly daring escapes. He would get locked inside of big milk cartons, which doesn't sound like it'd be hard to get out of, but they're steel, not paper, right? Uh, he got he got locked inside uh, um, boilers that were riveted shut. He escaped. Locked inside mailbags that people tied at the top. He One time, uh, he even escaped from a belly of a whale that had washed up on the shore of Boston Harbor. True story. I mean, kind of unoriginal, given that Jonah had done it 2,600 years ago, right? <laughs> uh, well, do you, you ever seen the show The Office? One of the guilty pleasures in our household is The Office. It is set in the city of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And one day, the people of Scranton, Pennsylvania, invited Houdini to come to their city and to escape from a barrel that they had sealed and filled with beer. Some of you are thinking, why would you want to escape that? <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite stories about Houdini is uh, he was invited again to Pennsylvania, but this time to Pittsburgh, where there are a number of rivers that flow through town. It was the middle of winter. The ice was seven inches thick. They took him on top of a bridge. They cut a ten-foot hole in the ice. They handcuffed Houdini. They stuffed him inside a steamer trunk, locked the steamer trunk, threw it off the bridge into the icy water. And uh, Houdini's own tale of this from his autobiography tells that he got out of the handcuffs, he got out of the steamer trunk, no problem, but the current had carried him so far downstream that he couldn't find the hole in the ice. So he made his way to an air pocket and then to another air pocket and then to another air pocket and eventually 12 minutes later emerged from the ice. Houdini captivated people. Europe, America captivated people. For 20 years, 20, I'm sorry, 10 movies to date have been made about this man's life. Why? Why why were people so riveted by this magician? Some of you would say, well, it was 1910, they didn't have anything else to do, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Uh, Maybe it was the spectacle of it all. Maybe people showed up because they were kind of hoping that something would go wrong. Maybe. But... I think it may be a little different than that. See, uh, in, in the latter part of the 18th century, uh, the 19th century, so uh, 1890s, there was an outbreak of bubonic plague in the Far East. Twelve million people died in China and India alone from this outbreak of plague. In 1903, plague made its way across the Pacific Ocean to the United States, and there was an outbreak in San Francisco. In the end, only 113 people died in the United States. It, we, we were able to coordinate off in its epicenter there in San Francisco. But for years, fear of an outbreak of plague swept back and forth across the United States. That's what the beginning of Houdini's career. In the middle of his career, by around 1914, the United States was finding itself pulled into the war that would end all wars. In the early part of the 20th century, people were surrounded, afraid of death, death from war, death from plague, death from simple childbirth. I don't think people showed up to watch Houdini because they wanted to watch him die. I think they showed up to watch Houdini because they wanted to be convinced that it was possible to cheat death. And that is what Harry Houdini 
was selling to everybody that he could cheat death. I'm going to leave the story of Houdini. I'll come back to it at the end. But I want to tell you another story this morning. If I told you a story about a father, we'll call him L, E-L, who sent his only son to the earth to a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph. The child had remarkable power. He experiences death and resurrection, and he saves the world. What story am I telling you? If you said the story of Superman, you're correct. Uh, Superman is an interesting story. See, the guys who originally came up with the idea of Superman, uh, they were two Jewish guys. And they would have known that in Hebrew, the name El means God, E-L. Uh, Superman's dad, his Kryptonian name was Jor-El. Superman's Kryptonian name was Cal-El. Uh, the family name was El, God. Quite literally, Superman was the son of God. A guy by the name of Stephen Skelton wrote a book called The Gospel According to the Greatest Superhero. And in that book, he says that Superman's parents originally were named Mary and Joseph. That changed in the 1940s. In the movie Superman Returns, and uh, also in a, a comic book called The Death of Superman, we find that Superman dies and experiences resurrection. Think about the great stories. I mean, the great stories that captivate our society. They captivate us. If we think about those across the, the course of the last century, some of the words, some of the, the titles that come to mind are things like the Chronicles of Narnia, right? By C.S. Lewis. And in the, the most famous of all the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the Christ figure, dies and experiences resurrection. C.S. Lewis had a very good friend by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. They taught together in England. Tolkien wrote, of course, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, one of the most compelling characters is a guy by the name of Gandalf. Gandalf's a wizard. And uh, in this great work of fiction, Gandalf falls into a pit with a fiery demon where he fights the demon, fights the fire demon. And then he, he comes back. He, you could say he's resurrected. Gandalf the Grey becomes Gandalf the White. More recently, even in the franchise Harry Potter, in the last book of Harry Potter, don't leave, we're going somewhere with this, okay? <laughs> promise. In the last book with Harry Potter, Harry Potter dies, comes back to life, and defeats the evil Lord Voldemort, who I kid you not, his best friend was a snake. And you're saying to me, Rob, it's Easter. What in the world are you doing talking about Gandalf and Harry Potter? Here's why. Because people out there are fascinated by these stories. And I think it's worth asking ourselves, why are people so fascinated by these stories? And some would say, well, they're fascinated by these stories because these stories imitate the Christ story. But I don't feel like people draw up Harry Potter on Netflix and watch that movie to try and shore up their resurrection theology. Do you? I don't. So what is it? People don't turn out in droves to watch a magician or the latest Superman movie. They don't 
read the Lord of the Rings or buy a DVD of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for their children so that they can be reminded of the Jesus story. It's something else. Why do we feel drawn to a magician who sells us a bill of goods that he can defeat death? It's because we want to be able to defeat death too. Why are we drawn to Superman who fights for truth and justice? It's because we want to believe in the power of good over evil and that one man or one woman really can make a difference in this world. Anybody know what the highest grossing movie of all time was? Anybody? Somebody said it. Gone with the wind. So close. But nope. Avatar. I know what you're saying. These people look like Smurfs on steroids. What's this all about, right? (laughs) Avatar made 2.79 billion, with a B, billion dollars in the box office alone. It made a million dollars 2,790 times. The story is about a guy who experiences a great tragedy in his life. He lays down in something that looks like a coffin, and when he wakes up, he's got a brand new remarkable body, and he lives in the midst of a virtual paradise. $2.79 billion. It's a story of resurrection. We don't go to see the films, we don't buy the books because they remind us of Jesus. We're captivated by magicians and stories and movies because they speak to this deep longing that's inside of us. Because this is what we want the world to look like. I mean, not blue. But we want to believe in a world where fear's gone. And where the good guys win. But, but the problem with this is that eventually our suspension of disbelief can only go so far. Eventually the movie credits are going to roll. Eventually the book's going to have a last chapter. Eventually the magician's show is going to be over. And we're going to be left in the real world knowing that the things we always really wanted to believe are just fairy tales. Enter the story of Mary Magdalene. We, the readers, know from our scripture reading this morning that when Jesus spoke to Mary, it was Jesus speaking to her, but Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. It's an interesting capstone to an interesting book. See, the the Gospel of John is filled with experiences like this. Where Jesus has encounters with people and they don't understand. In fact, my first sermon here ever at Ebenezer Church, I, I preached about how people misunderstand Jesus in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, Jesus encounters a guy named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Jesus says to Nicodemus, why are you here? And Nicodemus starts to ask Jesus these complicated questions. The thing about Nicodemus is, he was a guy who trusted in his birth for his connection to God. In other words... He believed he was connected to God. He believed he was saved because he was the son of the son of the son of the son of Abraham. And so Jesus looks at this guy. He looks at this guy who believes, who trusts in his birth for his salvation. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, man, you must be born again. It's the perfect thing. To a guy who trusts in his birth for salvation, Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus says back to Jesus, how can I enter back into my mother's womb? That's gross. That last part's me, not him. 
But it is gross. Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say to him. The next chapter, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at a well, a woman who's thirsty down to her very soul. And Jesus says, I'll give you living water and you will never thirst again. It was the perfect, perfect thing to say. And she said, you can't give me water. You don't have a bucket. John chapter 8, Jesus tells people who have been enslaved for the better part of a thousand years that he's going to set them free. And they say, what are you talking about? We've never been slaves. In John chapter 11, Jesus looks at a woman named Martha, the sister of Lazarus. He says, your brother's going to live again. She says, I know he'll live on the last day. Jesus says, you don't know. Because you still think that life's about the air in your lungs and the blood in your veins and the heart in your chest. But I am the resurrection and the life. Over and over and over again, people misunderstand in the Gospel of John. And of all the misunderstandings in all of the Gospel of John, the one with Mary Magdalene is the most important. It's the most critical error. Because all that Mary really wanted to believe was that Jesus was alive, but she couldn't let herself. Would you look with me at John chapter 20, verse 15? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him. She wanted so much to believe that Jesus was alive, but she just, she couldn't get there. She couldn't suspend her own disbelief for just a moment. She couldn't do it. And so instead she invents this idea, his body must have been stolen, which by the way has been a theory throughout time about the death of Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. Who would have stolen his body? The Pharisees didn't want to stoke a rumor of resurrection. The Romans looked ridiculous with their powerful guards laying lifeless next to the empty maw of the tomb. The disciples wouldn't have stolen Jesus' body and then died to protect the lie. But still, Mary, she just couldn't get there. She couldn't get to the place where she took that step. She couldn't understand that the thing she really wanted to believe was actually true. And the same thing happens with this world still today. People of the earth want to believe in Houdini and Superman and Harry Potter and Gandalf. But what we really, really want to believe is there's a way to cheat death. And for good to overcome evil. For one person to make a difference in the world. For lives of truth and justice above all. We want to believe that death isn't the end of life. That there's such a thing as a resurrection. And so Jesus speaks Mary's name. And they share this moment of intimacy and friendship. And then Jesus commissions her as the first evangelist of the risen Christ. And what he says to her, his instructions to her are, Go, tell my brothers that I am returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. This is the crux. This is the great pronouncement. This is the so what of the resurrection. Jesus says the way that we, that he knows God is now the way that we can know God. The same intimacy that Christ shares with the Creator is now the intimacy that we can share with the Creator. It's the entirety of Christ's work upon the earth to get to this moment. And it was even better than Mary had dared to believe. Because all Mary hoped for was that Jesus was alive. But what she finds is even greater 
Not only is Jesus alive, but because he lives, Mary too can live. The greatest hero's greatest work is complete, and it means that you and I and all the world can do more than cheat death. We can experience real life. It's real. And the source of this life isn't the earth's yellow sun or Gandalf's staff or Harry's wand. We're connected to the true source. Now our task, our task today is no different than Mary's was so long ago. Our calling is to go forth from this place and tell those people in our lives that the things they never dared to believe but always hoped against hope were true, those things are real. Not in a metaphorical or hypothetical sense. Not in fiction or fairy tale. I told you we come back to the story of Houdini. In 1926, Harry Houdini died. You know how he died? It wasn't one of his tricks. It wasn't his water torture chamber. It, it wasn't being thrown into a river. Harry Houdini, the guy who sold a bill of goods that he could defeat death, he died of appendicitis. He couldn't defeat death. Harry Houdini couldn't defeat death. And Superman and Gandalf and Potter, they're, they're figments of our imaginations, but the tomb is really empty. The Lord is resurrected. We've been unshackled from sin and it's handmade in death. One life can make a difference. There's a reason to live right here and right now. The reason we want to believe in Gandalf and Harry Potter and Avatar and Houdini because we want to believe we can cheat death and live real lives. And the truth, my friends, is remarkable. We can. Easter isn't just a celebration that Jesus is alive. It's the culmination of all creation. It's the fulfillment of the deepest longings of the human heart. And like Mary standing before the tomb, we've got one question to ask ourselves. Are we willing to give our hearts permission to bask in the happiest, most joyful of all endings? Would we modern people let ourselves truly believe that all of the things that we have longed for all of our lives are real? Can we believe this? Can you? Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm counting on it. One final point I want to make this morning on this greatest of all days. A few years ago, my wife Andy and I made a pilgrimage to Israel. It was an amazing trip. And I'm working with some of the folks here to try and gather a trip to go in January of 2020. So if you're interested, maybe you want to tag along. We saved the last, the best thing for last on our journey on the morning that we departed to come back to the United States. We went to the garden tomb it's a really powerful thing to walk in that tomb. It's powerful, but it can feel almost anticlimactic. Because you walk in and there's nothing there. But they, they've replaced the stone with a door. And so when you, you turn around to leave, you, you see this door. And I want to show you a picture of what's on the door. This is actually the door of the tomb, the garden tomb. It says, he is not here. For he is risen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the completion. It's the fulfillment of everything we have ever longed for. 
And today, each of us come to the tomb, the same way Andy and I went to the tomb several years ago. Each of us come to the tomb. We find that Christ isn't here, that He is risen. And like that first evangelist, Mary, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about our encounter with the risen Christ? Because when we fail to tell people of our own encounter with the risen Christ... They're going to make up fairy tales to fulfill their longing. Magicians and superheroes and characters and books and movies. and Listen, fantasy is fine. Except when reality is even better. Friday night, after the Good Friday service, we went home. My little boy, I love him so much. He's six. He's six. He's a giant. He's six. He said, Daddy, you don't have to be sad about Jesus dying. Daddy, he came back to life. Then he said, he's been resurrected. Just like Zelda. (laughs) His favorite character in his favorite video game. (laughs) Here's our joy on Easter. Not simply that Christ is risen, but that we get to tell people in our lives that the things they have always wanted, the things they've always hoped for, are real. Death has died. The resurrection has begun. One man, one woman can make a difference in this world. And most of all, we can be connected with the source of all life and power. For what Jesus said to Mary so long ago remains true for the children of God here today. The one who made the earth and everything in it. The one who makes our wildest dreams come true. Today that God calls himself our Father. And he calls us his children. All we've ever hoped for more than we ever could have really dreamed. It's real. Not with Gandalf or Harry Potter or Harry Houdini. All we've ever hoped for is real. Because, my friends, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of our imaginations. For the great stories that help to explain the truth of our real stories. We give you thanks for fantasies and fairy tales and for the ways that they engage us. But our thanksgiving for those pales in comparison to the deep gratitude of our heart today that what we truly long for We long for a life that can make a difference. For good to triumph over evil. For fear to be conquered and for life, for life to triumph over death. And today we find that those wildest dreams we've ever had 
they all come true in you. So help us here now to rededicate our lives to going forth from this place and telling those that we love about our encounter with the risen Christ and how our deepest longings have been fulfilled. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and always for the sake of his kingdom, we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.